0: You are listening to First Church Charlotte. to be here with all of you. I'm excited to teach and preach the Word of the Lord to you today. Teaching the Word of the Lord is the honor of my life. It is the highest honor that can be paid to any individual to give them the sacred Word of God and give them the chance to teach and preach from that. I am reading today 1 Kings chapter number 18. If you would turn quickly with me, 1 Kings chapter number 18, and we will read one verse of Scripture uh, from that passage. I think it's Kings uh, 18. It might be Kings. Is that right? Yeah, it's either 18 or 19. Uh, Yeah, and so we're going to read down at verse number, let's see, 37. Real quick, starting next month, our uh, slight schedule change, our 9 a.m. service will be slightly moved back. And it'll begin at 9.15, just so you know. Uh, and most of you sleep in on Sunday. That's why you're so carnal. And uh, I don't blame you. <laughs> um, I, for the first time this morning, in I think over 10 years, I woke up and then fell back asleep. That, that's at least 10 years since I've done that. And when I woke up, I, I levitated off the bed. And uh, I found to, to find the clock, because I, I just don't do that. And uh, all I can figure is the Lord has put great peace in my spirit. So I'm thankful for that. First Kings chapter number 18, and we will read at, at verse number 37. This is Elijah praying. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, And that you have turned your hearts back, their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, he is God. Say that with me. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. I am continuing uh, part three of our series on the life of Elijah. Doubt, drought, and the presence of God. Before you're seated, fist bump your neighbor. Say, I'm so glad you made it to church. Amen. I'm glad you're here. I heard a funny, funny, funny story this week about a man who went to a a bar and he walked up to the bar and he slapped his hand on the bar and he said, please give me a drink before my problems start bartender rushed and gave him a big drink and he slammed that one. He said, give me another drink before my problems start. And the bartender's thinking, my goodness, this poor guy, there's no telling what's going on in his life. He brings him another drink. This goes on a dozen drinks later. The bartender gets tired of hearing this, bring me a drink before my problems start. He said, look it, when are you going to pay for all these drinks? The man said, and now my problems have started. (laughs) So I have you in church. I might as well try to give you some good word and try to uh, enrich you spiritually. I pray every day a a prayer, and basically it's some version of this. Lord, help me to make your people rich in spiritual understanding. My job as a minister uh, is is, is really to... Take the the riches of God's Word, the riches of Scripture, and give that to you. Apply it to your life to make you rich through the Scripture. And so I don't, I don't want anyone to just observe I want you to try to find something in the presence of God, something in the praise and worship, something in the teaching and the preaching that you can carry with you as a uh, a spiritual enrichment. Let it happen here today in Jesus' name. We have been looking at the life of Elijah, and Elijah was a uh, famous prophet of Israel. And he lived at a time when the hearts of the people had strayed away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, They had began in their own way to look to a foreign God to bless them and provide for them, to understand this. Uh, set up, this context, um, you have to remember that Baal, the god they are tempted to worship, is is celebrated as the god of the storm. And so in a dry, arid country, as you know, water represents wealth in a desert or a dr- arid country. And so the people have been influenced by the neighboring countries to turn toward Baal, the god of the storm, in the hope that by By honoring, they might earn his favor. This is the sound of religion since time immemorial. To earn his favor, manipulate his goodness, that they might receive rain. And so uh, the Lord sends the prophet to bring the people to a confrontation. Elijah isn't the only prophet in the land. There are many prophets in the land. Uh, in fact, there is. this is probably the heyday of the prophetic institution known as the School of the Prophets. So there are a fair amount of prophets in the land. Uh, most of them, however, are primarily involved in being with others like them. Uh, celebrating their various uh, beliefs, their various blessings, their various gifts. Uh, they come together. They have great church services, to use a modern image. Uh, they have great conferences. They have prophecy conferences, and they, they prophesy over each other. But there, there's this problem, and the problem is this, that uh, the battlefield is not to keep these prophets powerful. The battlefield is with the people. And so for a prophet to get to the mission for which he, uh, or in some cases she, is called is for them to understand the time, understand the generation, understand the battle that is happening. And that battle is for the hearts of the people. Elijah, Elijah gets this. He understands this. And so he uh, walks into the court of Ahab and he, following the commandment of the Lord, he speaks clarity into confusion. Here is clarity. It's not going to rain until I say so. In other words, a drought A drought is coming. It's not a drought without purpose. It's not simply angry God pounding flawed humans with hammers. It's, it's not purposeless suffering. Um, it is very much educational suffering. How many of you know the toughest school in the world is the school of hard knocks? You will learn more through your tears than you will learn through your, sor- uh, through your smiles. You, you will, it's the school of hard knocks. That is where you will learn. And so the point of the suffering is not suffering. Suffering is not an end. It is simply a means. The end is for them to realize that they have categorized God as a God of fire. But he's not just a God of fire. He's also the giver of rain. He's also the God of the storm. He's also the God of the mountaintops. He's also the God of the valley. The point of hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. The point of that is not an argument about Trinitarianism. That won't even come until uh, centuries later. The point of that is for you to look to God as the sole source of your need. Do you need healing? It's all in Him. Do you need blessing? It's all in Him. Do you need deliverance? It's all in Him. Do you you need rain in your drought? It's all in him. Do you need hope for a better day? It's all in him. Do you need deliverance from spiritual bondage? It is all in him. (coughs) That's the point. And so they have, they've lost this and they have begun to worship idols. And so Elijah goes there, and he, he does what the other prophets evidently cannot do. He sees where the mission is. The mission's not at the prophet prophecy conference, prophesying over each other. The mission is the hearts of the people. Uh, we have to see, as believers, uh, many of you have been serving God many, many years, you have to see that the greatest ministry is not what happens at church from a platform behind a pulpit. Uh, that, that is technically, if we read Ephesians right, that is equipping the greatest ministry ministry is you looking at your world and seeing what you can do to make a difference in the lives of people that God has placed you beside. Your ministry is more important than my ministry. My job is to equip you. Your job is to represent the gospel to a world of broken people. You say, well, I just want to stay saved. No. Okay. That's easy. That's not a mission. You cannot be your own mission. You have to open your heart. You have to say, God, I am your plan to make a difference in my world, so show me where to get started. Somebody say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you very much. And so, uh, Elijah can see the mission is not just the prophecy conference. The, The mission is the hearts of the people. And so, he delivers this, and then he has to run for his life, and the Lord takes him far out of his comfort zone. He's fed by ravens. That's unclean. You're not supposed to do that. Uh, probably the prophets at the school of the prophecy would have never done that. And so he eats food from ravens. And then the Lord sends him out of the house of Israel, sends him actually to the homeland, strangely enough, of Jezebel. And that's that's where he's hid, the, the widow of Zarephath. Zarephath is in Sidon. Sidon's where Jezebel's from. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the, the woman's son dies. And again, uh, Elijah is kind of on the edge of the controversial because he touches a dead body. School of the prophets would have done that. Um, he stretches himself across this dead body and he prays and uh, he, 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 he is a symbol, as we talked about uh, two weeks ago. He becomes a symbol of grace and mercy in our life. His heart is in line with the heart of God. He, uh, and that is the heart of God to provide a covering for judgment. And so you, you see this in his life and now uh, the Lord speaks to him after three years, three years of drought. He says, I want you to go to uh, Ahab and tell him uh, to call uh, 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 this this confrontation a spiritual confrontation, and so that's where we're reading at today. Um, every character in the story is there for a reason. Every, everyone is instructive in its own way. Everyone is is powerful in its own way. And uh, like one of uh, the great Russian uh, novelists, I think maybe Dostoevsky Dostoy, uh, said, "If I say that three times, I'll get a tongues and interpretation here at the church." <laughs> <laughs> Um Dostoevsky said if you if you tell a story and you hang a rifle on the wall in the first chapter by the third chapter the, the rifle should have been fired. In other words the the things are not accidentally in the story and I, I find that especially true in in sacred writings, much more than, say, a novel, because um, they're written so concisely. Uh, An author would say they're written tersely. There's nothing uh, unnecessary in the story. And the characters in the story become teaching images all of their own. Like, for example, you have uh, Ahab, the backslidden king, weak, uncertain in his understanding. He has lost his order, divine order, who is God, he's lost identity, Covenant, and now he is walking in weakness, he becomes an image, a teaching image and Jezebel, everybody knows how crazy she is, and she becomes a, an image of the love for the world and not just that, but the lust for the things of the world and and you have elijah we, we see his role as the as the fearless man of god and and even the the lesser stories, the widow, widow of of Zidon uh, she she represents an image how god God brings mercy provision and Blessing uh, to the outsider. This is the ministry of Jesus Christ, and this is why Jesus quotes from this story. I believe in Matthew uh, chapter number four, either Matthew or Luke chapter number four. He tells the story of the widow of Sidon to show that God loves the outsider. Uh, the boy who dies and the prophet who covers the boy—all of these become profound teaching images. Don't you love the word of the Lord? I just love it. I love it. I love it. I—I—I—I'm I, a bit—I—I I study more now than I've ever studied in my life, and I can't get enough. It's so deep. Uh, And and now we get to an image that we don't talk about so much. There's a man in the story by the name of Obadiah. Now, this isn't the prophet Obadiah. That's later. Uh, This is the chief of staff of Ahab. He works in the house of the king, and he's chief of staff, and uh, he runs the the staff and, you know, kind of in charge of things. And uh, he, we know biblically, deeply fears the Lord. The Bible says so. No bones about it. No sense arguing unless you just want to. Uh, He deeply fears fears the Lord. Uh, but he is one of those kind of, um, those individuals who he doesn't know how he can be a part, uh, of this contest for the people. He does his part. And Elijah comes to him first. We're told Obadiah's story. It's, it's fascinating. And, and, uh, he says, all right, Obadiah, I want you to go tell Ahab, we're going to have a meeting going to be this great spiritual confrontation. And, uh, I'll see you there. And Obadiah's like, Whoa, wait just a minute. Um, first of all, Ahab and Jezebel are looking for you everywhere. They're looking for you in Israel. They've sent kill squads and assassins to every, every, all the nations around us. I can't just show up and say, oh, by the way, I saw Elijah. I can't do that. They'll say, what do you mean you saw Elijah? You've known where he is all this time? They'll kill me. And then he says, you know, the, the thing is, is I, I, I actually have been hiding the prophets of the Lord. Remember, Jezebel sends out her killers. They find the school of the prophets out doing their own prophecy conference thing. And they kill a bunch of them. And uh, the ones who remain, Obadiah, provides a place of hiding for them and sends food to them. Fascinating story. And so Obadiah is like, look, I can't show up and look guilty Of something I've actually been guilty of for quite a while. (laughs) It it looks bad, you know, I've got to look good for others. And so here he, you know, he he has this problem and Elijah's like, ah, well, I've told you what to do. This is how we get to this confrontation. Where Elijah invites the prophets of Baal to call upon their God and see who answers by fire. Isn't it amazing that God will not change his sign for the people? What is it they they want? They want rain. They think of him as the God of fire. And they think of Baal as the God of... You have to understand the idolatry of the time. They think of Baal as the giver of storm. But God, when he shows up, he does not give them what they want. He will not beg them to believe in him. He gives them what they were expecting all along to see, which is fire. You can't accept the part of God you like and reject the part of God you don't like. He's in heaven. You're on earth. I love you too, baby. (laughs) I want you to see this. Here he is. The one who answers by fire. And this is probably one of the most preached about images in the Bible because Elijah Gets has so much fun being snarky. Um, So here you have the prophets of Baal, and they're calling upon their God, and whatever they do, and maybe they're doing their dance, or they're they're walking in circles. Uh, You know, people talk about how crazy we look when we worship the Lord. I'm sure they looked however they looked, probably a little bit crazy. They're doing what they do, and Elijah's sitting back on the side. Nothing's happening. No fire's falling. Uh, And he's like, well... Maybe it's his day off. Maybe, maybe Bell and preachers love to tell the story. It's so much fun and, uh, and, and we'll act it out, you know, and Elijah's like kicked back. He's got his Dr. Pepper right there. And he's like watching all this, oh, Bell, oh, Bell. He's like, you know, maybe he has a vacation house in Florida. Maybe, maybe you should cry louder. Maybe he would hear you. He needs to kind of be reminded, you know, and he's having a great time and, uh, Something happens. The, I don't know who starts it. One of the priests of Baal pulls out a knife and cuts himself as a way of showing God how much he needs them. I want you to just settle for a moment on this image. I want you to see this image. Here you have somebody wanting so much to move their God. They're, 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 they have this tremendous need and they're trying to show their God how much they need intervention, and they're cutting themselves as a way to move God. I want to talk to you here for a few moments about the reality, uh, even in the New Testament, the continuing uh, temptation in our life uh, to, in some way or another, live idolatrous lives. Uh, What do I mean by that? I don't mean that you worship a crocodile. I mean, if you do, God bless you. You have other problems beside beside what I'm talking about here, Um, but I, I don't simply mean that. I mean Uh, The ability of the flesh to think meaning will be found, happiness will be found, spiritual unity and meaning will be found someplace other than the presence of God. And so you look for something besides his presence to make you happy. And we look for something besides his presence to make us fulfilled. Uh, God becomes the ultimate Good in our life. This is important for us to remind ourselves. God does not simply, is not simply a story of Judeo-Christian tradition. God in your life is the ultimate good today. The best you can ever feel, have, experience, or know is in the presence of God there's no higher place than in his presence. That's why you ought to make coming to church with thanksgiving, uh, entering to his courts with praise. You ought to make that a sincere discipline of your life. Fathers, you ought to tell your families, we're going to get there in time to get into worship before uh, the preaching. I know I'm I'm, I'm nagging at you a little bit here, but uh, uh, next month there won't be a problem because we start at 915, see, and everybody will be here on time then. I I want you to see the value of worship. I want you know, let me, uh, I told our, our worship team this morning, I said, look, in the scripture, you'll always see how thanksgiving can be a sacrifice. You'll see that phrase. You'll also see how praise can be a sacrifice, you offer up a, a sacrifice of praise, but you'll never see that with worship. You'll never see a sacrifice of worship because in worship, we become the offering. We don't give the offering. We don't bring the offering. We become the offering. So I want to say it differently. The highest meaning in your life will only be found in the presence of God. The most peace you will ever know will only happen in the presence of God. You must value that above everything else or whatever it is you're looking at to give you happiness give you joy, will take on the role of a functional idol in your life. You cannot say you're not a worshiper. Everything you have has shaped you to be a worshiper. You will worship something. It may not be God. It may be a career. It may be some ideal. It may be some plan. It may be an athlete, a sports team, uh, some even your, even your family. It can be your idol. All of these things you are looking to to provide meaning in your life, but I want you to know God is the ultimate good in your life. He is the ultimate meaning in your life. Whatever you are idolizing will reveal itself to you in the following way. And This is going to hit you. It's going to be a little bit heavy, and then I'm going to drop the mic as a way of making a point, okay? Well, maybe not. How do you find the idols in your life? Look to where you're bleeding. You want to find the idols in your life? Find where you're bleeding. Because people will bleed for that which they believe in. And this is the nature of false gods. They ask you to believe, to bleed. The beauty of the gospel is Jesus reversed the order. And he said, rather than you bleeding for me, I'm going to bleed for you. This is the problem with the spirit of idolatry. This is the problem with mixed up sources of meaning and values in our life. We think if we get the dream career, then our lives will be meaningful. Then our lives will be happy. If I get just enough money... uh, saved if I get my retirement you know, established. If I get my stock options vested, if if I get to where I have been dreaming, uh, then then I will be finished. This is why there's so much disillusionment in at the end of things. Whether it's the end of an acting career, an end of a music career, the end of a business, there is so much sense of uh, I, I, I'm kind of lost. I, I I thought I knew what would be fulfilling to me, and here I am, very very disappointed. I have been worshiping all the wrong things. Everything that you have idolized may have a place in your life. It will serve you better in its proper place than it will sitting on the throne of your heart. You will be a better father when you put your family in its right place order than you will by trying to serve your family as a false god. It's too much of a burden for your family to bear for you to make them your purpose in your life. So it is with any idol that we are tempted to serve. It will always demand more of us than we can give. And we will look at our life and we will see the areas where we are are bleeding and we are we are trapped in a, a circumstance where no matter how much we give, it's never enough. And Elijah, Elijah waits until their frustration has reached its end and finally he goes to the very same place they were. He rebuilds the altar and there he lays it out and he brings 12 barrels of water which was quite expensive in a drought. And they flood this, this offering with water. It's completely down they dig a trench around. It's all filled with water. He prays a simple prayer, and you know the story. God answers by fire. Now Israel is brought to a point of decision, and this is the realization that you cannot serve two masters. Choose you this day, uh, Joshua says at one place, and here Elijah brings the people to a point of decision. You can't play anymore and say, "Bell is going to give me the rain I need, and Yahweh is going to give me the fire I need. That's not how worship works. It is either the sole source of meaning, hope, and joy in your life, or it's not worship. And so he prays this short prayer, fire falls. I wanna show you something that happens and I, I'm almost done. Just give me, just give me a, a few more moments here. Uh, I want you to see what happens next. Of course, you all know the story about Elijah actually uh, t- uh, leading the people, and they, they actually kill all of the prophets of Baal. God did not tell them to do this. This is very much the fulfillment of the Old Testament law of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. They spent three and a half years trying to kill Elijah. He wins the contest, so he pulls their tooth before they can pull his. God, didn't give it, God did not tell them to kill the prophets. could They could have just as easy sent them away, but uh, he kills them. That's all uh, That's their doing decision in that moment. But the people have come to a point of of decision. The people have come to a, a point of having to decide and they choose. They are going to serve God. And uh, I want you to see how at this moment, at this moment, um, Jezebel really, uh, she was never going along with this plan and she she knows where Elijah is now and she uh, is going to kill him and Elijah's running for his life. He's running and he's running and he's afraid in spite of the revival. Isn't it amazing how trials come right on the heels of breakthroughs? Isn't that amazing? Right after you've had a breakthrough, a trial, a trial will come in your life. Uh, right after you thought you were done with the trial, that's when the counterattack happens. And it's not just you. Prophets like Elijah live through this, and he's running for his life. He's running, and he's, 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 he's hiding, and he's, he finally gets to a point of exhaustion, and he falls to, to the ground, and he says, I give up, God. I, I, I just as soon would die. I just as soon would. I'm not better than my fathers. He's exhausted. He's running. um, And he's not really in a shape to hear from God. In fact, he's not going to hear from God until he gets some rest. I've been there and done that. Until I got some rest, I wasn't hearing anything from God. And so uh, you see this moment. It's not, I I want you to see this so much uh, because this strikes to the very heart of placing God first in our life. This strikes to the very heart of of turning away from other sources of meaning in our life. It's not just the backslidden house of Israel that has to come to the end of itself and see that God is their only hope. That is the point of the drought The point of the drought is not purposeless suffering. I want to tell you today, wherever you have uh, found yourself, whatever you have struggled through, whatever pains you have gone through, don't let it all be a waste. I want you to see in the middle of the trouble is a profound spiritual lesson that will change you fundamentally from the old you into someone who God can use. The drought's not just suffering for any old reason. It's so the people will come to the end of themselves and see that God reigns. But hear me. All you folks who've been serving God so long, you've heard enough preaching to save China. God bless you. I love you. I want to say this to you. It's not just the backslidden house of Israel that has to come to the end of itself. The preacher has to come to the end of his self too. It's not just the house of Israel living through three and a half years of drought coming to the end of themselves. It's the preacher running in fear saying, I can't make it anymore. And he comes to the end of himself. And he hides and he falls asleep. And when he wakes up, an angel provides for him. This is an image of spiritual restoration. And after that is the the, the speaking of the steel, small voice, which says this, Elijah, what are you doing here? I want you to see this. It's not just the outsider who has to come to the end of their own plan. As long as you're living your plan, it's easy for you to self-serve. And you're not called to self-serve. You're called to be a worshiper. As long as you're working out your scheme, it's easy for you to be a religious consumer But when you come to the end of yourself and you put God back on the throne, it changes everything that you are doing, every attitude with with which you are walking. It changes the way you pray. It changes the level of your trust and it explodes the level of your faith because you no longer are your plan for a, a breakthrough. You are no longer your plan for revival. You are now simply the vessel of the presence of God. I said, you are the vessel of the presence of God. Isn't that such an interesting understanding? Your job is to carry his presence to other people. Your job is to carry his anointing to other people. Somebody say, I'm a vessel. You are not the promise. You're a carrier of the promise. You are not his presence. You're a carrier of his presence. But as long as you are full of you... You'll only see what you need. But the moment you're emptied out, now you can see that God will only accept the throne room of our life. He will not compete with the idols. Because spiritually, have you noticed in the scripture? I'm almost done. Musicians, you can come. Have you noticed in the scripture? That's, that, that idolatry is always placed beside adultery. If you, if you look at passages of scripture, uh, idolatry is always mentioned similarly to adultery. One is an action of the flesh, adultery. One is an action of the spirit, idolatry. In principle, it's the same thing. It is to seek false affection outside of covenant. It is to seek false satisfaction outside of covenant. And when we compete with God for the throne, we are idolaters. And we need spiritual confrontation. We need to come to the end of ourselves so we can put God back on the throne of our lives. So I want to challenge everybody here today. I'm done. I want to challenge you with this. I want you to look at the bloody areas of your life. What are you, where are you bleeding? And ask yourself, are you seeking meaning? Are you seeking the ultimate good? Are you seeking what only God can give outside of His presence, outside of His promise? If you find conviction in any area where you are seeking out of order, spiritual order. I want you to confess that to God. And I want you to surrender your plan for His. You see, this is the most important moment when an individual turns their heart toward God. That is why the writer says, you have to believe that He is and that he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. This is the beginning where you turn away from the world's plan for you. You see, the world has a plan for you. Hell has a plan for you. Your carnal nature has a plan for you. But by the act of your will, the decision of your heart, you turn away from that. And you say, I only want to seek the eternal in the presence of God. If you'll do that, it'll be natural for you to find repentance. You won't have to strain for repentance you will understand repentance. If you turn away from this world, it'll be natural for you to want divine identity in your life that's baptism in His name. And it's natural for you to host His presence. That's the point of being Spirit-filled. In all of its experience, in all of its manifestation, that is the point of it. I am challenging and reaching and appealing and making this argument to you today. It is not just an Old Testament problem for us to compete with God for His throne. And what we need in this day and age is some old-fashioned surrender that says, I'm not just here for me. I'm here to know you. I'm not here for self- actualization. I'm here to worship you. I cannot be a worshiper of creation. I must be a worshiper of the creator. That is what I was made to do. That is what I was called to do. And that is the greatest honor of my life. I want you to see out of drought, out of doubt, comes this spiritual uh, compliment conflict this spiritual moment of challenge. This is what the whole house of Israel is being brought toward, this moment where they decide, I'm going to serve God. And so it is in all our life. So it is in all of our life. We will not get from doubt, drought, to the presence of God without the moment of decision when we say, not my will, but thy will be done. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, we need your anointing. We need your strength. I pray for every individual here today to leave with the spiritual richness of your blessing, your presence in their life. Let this be a week of surrender for every one of us, oh God. Let us see those arenas of our life that compete with you those things of our life that resist true spiritual submission, let us offer them before you as a sign that you are our God and we serve you wholeheartedly without reservation. Lord Jesus, we know that will translate into every person here as what's the next step for them to take. Lord Jesus, we all have different experiences and testimonies, even journeys. But all of us have a next step we need to take, Lord Jesus. And so I pray that we would have the courage, all of us, to take that next step. Whether that's a step of faith, whether it's a step of repentance, whether it's a step of submission, whether it's a step of seeking your your will, seeking your presence, seeking the gifts of your spirit. Lord Jesus, whatever that is. Give us the courage to take that step today, in Jesus' name we pray. And can the church say Amen? Put your hands together. Give the Lord one more hand clap of praise. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you. Please rate it with four stars. By doing so, you will help others find it and also bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at forty-nine twenty-nine. North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times and church ministries, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.